Leco ramp. Whoa! Yeah. Put there be light, right? <laughs> Much better. Okay, thank you. Oh, we we appreciate a, a God fearing man as a pastor. Thank you. Thank God for that. But the one way you can appreciate your pastor best is by letting God move in your heart. What do you say, Pastor Dave? You know, he doesn't need it. He appreciates stuff for himself. <laughs> but he wants stuff for you. He wants good things for you. And you only get good things when you follow God's will. I guess I'm talking about following God's will, not our will. This culture that we see today, everybody's following after their own will. And sometimes it's downright stupid. Can I say that? You know, you got, golly. You know, people, uh, my children, I raised four, four young men. They're all grown now. I just sent my last off, uh, 18 years old, graduated high school, and he went off to a job in, in your fair state. I crossed the border over here from North Dakota. But three of my four sons uh, are here already working jobs in Minnesota. And uh, we get over here quite a lot. We thank God for the tiny pop state, mini, Minnesota. <laughs> well, if you want to look in James chapter 4, James is an amazing book. I'd say there's about eight, maybe nine tests of a genuine faith in the book of James. Uh, I love God's Word, don't you? It has something to say. And it's, gonna, it's the guiding force that helps us know God and help us live by His will. Eight and nine tests of genuine faith. Chapter 1. How you endure trials. Test if you have a, a genuine faith. How you face temptation. How you respond to the Word of God. Are we doers of the Word or hearers only? Chapter 2. We see the test of how you treat people who are in need. Then, there's also the test of how your words match your works. Come on. Okay, chapter 3. There's the test of how your tongue, uh, how you use your tongue for the Lord. Then, there's the test of true wisdom. But now here in chapter 4, there's one more test. I call it the Lordship test. Who's the Lord of your life? Are you following His will? Or are you following your own will? Wow. Well, you remember uh, where you were. Maybe some of you are old enough to, to know. Do you remember where you were when President JFK was assassinated? Anybody? No? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. PewResearch.com says almost 30%, 28.9% of people in America can still remember where they were on, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, those who are at least eight years old on November 28, 1963, 95% of them know where they were that day. That's pretty good. In fact, the only event which is seared its it's uh, self into a, a collective consciousness of American society. More than the assassination of Kennedy is the 9 11 attacks, 2001. How many of you can remember where you were in 2001 when those planes hit? 
Amen. 97% of people in America today know where they were, what was going on in their life during that national tragedy. As a way of sticking with us, um, because it reminds us we're not in control. Well, <laughs> often we think we're in control and that life's supposed to go the way we planned it. But actually, uh, things like that, they, they break in without so much of a, as an excuse me. They break into our lives and remind us we aren't in control of nothing. Kind of like the weather. I love a good rainstorm because it reminds me I'm not in control. <laughs> I had this, this or that plan, but no, not going to happen. <laughs> That's when you've got to ask, do we trust God? If I'm not, along for, if I'm not in control, who is? And if he's going to make something happen that I'm not in control of, you've got to ask yourself, do I trust him? Is that going to be good? I'm along for the ride. As fathers, as a father who raised four sons, <laughs> my, my sons looked at me and expected me to be in control. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but a wise father knows that the status of being in control belongs only to God. Big idea I want to share with you today. A test of a transformed life, test of a God-fearing man, is that a Christian desires to do God's will rather than their own. If you don't remember anything I say, try to remember this. A God-fearing man understands that he is not in control of what happens in life, but he seeks to live according to God's will with the time that God gives. Let's start reading here in James chapter 4. Let's begin back in verse 10. James 4, verse 10. Hmm. Playing trombone. Kind of like Bing Crosby. Remember that? <laughs> what was that? White Christmas, right? I'm playing trombone a little bit myself. Okay. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. <laughs> Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go in, into such and such a town and spend a year there. And make a profit. Yeah, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, but all such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it for him. It is sin. Wow. When's the last time you looked at this passage? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Sometimes the Word of God surprises us. You know you've read this, but wow. It jumps out at you. God wants to speak a special word to us today. I think He wants to move us in our hearts. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage. Verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. So many people want to be exalted. <laughs> that means lifted up and, and praised and, and looked up, uh, favorably upon. 
I think all of us want people to look upon us favorably. But there's, we live this life for an audience of one. It's only one person's opinion who matters. And that's God. James has just offered up a step-by-step plan for, make, for truly making Jesus Lord of your life. Submit to God. Recognizing you have a need for what only He can give you. You offer your allegiance to the only one who can truly satisfy a soul. The only one who can save a soul. Jesus Christ, our Lord. You resist the devil, and then you draw near to God like some Old Testament priest who longs to worship God and minister in holiness coming into that holy of holies in the tabernacle. Ministering to those God's put around you. You humble yourself before God. We, when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died in our place, and we acknowledge Him as Lord in, our, in place of ourselves, then God promises to lift us up and give us a place along with Him in heaven. Ephesians 2.6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If there is one sin that God hates the most, what do you think it is? Come on. Any guesses? Probably pride. Yeah. It's a sneaky sin. It pops up when least expected. And it's not new. When the devil rebelled against God, committing the first sin, it was the sin of pride. See that in Isaiah 14.12. He rebelled wanting to do his own will instead of God's will. He convinced the first humans to do the same thing. The essence of sin is to pursue our own wants by transgressing God's ways. It's a failure to follow God's plans, but an effort to follow our own. American society seems to respect confidence and celebrate pride. Boy, this month, (laughs) you don't want to talk about that. If James' original readers were running each other down in order to build themselves up. That's not what God says for us to do. Let's look at verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. This is a complicated verse for me. You know, you hear those leftist, those left-wing people there always saying, don't judge, judge not, lest you be judged. I'm like, ugh. You know what I hear them saying is, don't use any judgment. <laughs> it's like they've lost all sound judgment. The damaging truth passed along, the gossipy truth passed along at just the right time can destroy a soul. It's like a spider. You know how a spider eats his food? Yeah, he doesn't have a stomach to digest it, so he puts his venom in it and melts that, the insides. and It's gross, you know? Then, ugh. But that's what gossip can do. It can melt a person's reputation, melt a person's uh, down there until the gossip can just drink them up. It's so easy to fall into that. James mentioned in chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law found in Scripture is to love your neighbor as yourself. 
He explained that sanctified speech is a mark of a true Christian. We don't see that a lot in the, in the media today. You ready for another election? Better buckle your seatbelt. Here it comes. Oh, gosh. Sanctified speech. When we criticize the Bible or we act like it somehow doesn't apply to us, when we show the prideful attitude toward God. Many people take this approach to the Bible, picking it apart, picking apart what it says, and bending the Bible to suit themselves instead of bending themselves to suit the Bible. Oh, let's be the latter and not the former. Verse 12 <laughs> says there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Talking about being humble. You know, there's, there's plenty of judging to, worthwhile to go around. But I just don't want it redirected toward me. When we judge others, we're, only, we're on shaky ground. Because Jesus warned us, Matthew 7, 1, the royal law is broken by those with a judgmental spirit. A critical attitude toward others opens you up to inspection from God. You're not to have any log in your own eyes. You point out the speck in someone else's. God does, does want us to use good judgment, though. John uh, 7, verse 24, commands us, Stop judging by mere appearances. Instead, judge correctly. Did you know that? John 7 commands us to judge. Ha! Take that, left-wing liberal. <laughs> we have to use discernment. Matthew 7 that's the one they always go to for their, their pushy quote. But did you know it goes right on to say that we're to judge a false prophet according to the truth of Scripture? You'll know them by their fruit. Verse 15. Verse 16 goes right on to say a person's Christian character is judged by the fruit of his life. We've got to use sound judgment. These may be clues about a person. But in the end, only God can really judge a human heart. We don't know what's between them and God. We've got to give them a little professional courtesy. <laughs> We're professional human beings just the same way as they are. <laughs> give them a little common courtesy. We don't have the power to save or destroy anyone, but only God does. Only God deserves that responsibility. But James goes on to give four attitudes that people can take toward the will of God. He tucks away the first one in a, in a neatly wrapped up little example. Let's look at verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town. We'll spend a year there doing trade and we'll make a profit. Hmm. The first type of person, the first attitude you can take toward God's will is to disregard it. Now, if, uh, James says this attitude is evil. But to our American ears, it's like, well, what's wrong with that? If somebody came to you and said, I'm going to take an internship in this other town here. I'm going to make some money. Uh, we wouldn't blink an eye. We'd be like, well, we might miss them. We'd say, I miss you and I wish you well and stuff. But the problem I see in this scripture is it doesn't leave any room for seeking the will of God. 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to make money. Money's what I need. I'm going to go do this. It's not asking, well, I'm praying about it. Wondering if God wants me to do that. So it's the attitude of disregarding the will of God. What God wants doesn't enter into their planning at all. Part of the Lordship test is asking, am I really cooperating with God's plan for my life? Or am I just making my plans for my life and asking God to kind of bless them and kind of sign off on them? A God-fearing man or woman wants to do God's will and not just follow their own hopes and dreams. Have you stopped to consider what God is doing in your life? An atheist doesn't factor that in. And if we don't either, how are we any better? If we don't make our plans with His priorities in mind, for all practical purposes, we're living as though God doesn't exist. If God is sovereign and He has a will for your life, shouldn't we think about that? Verse 14 goes on to say, Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Well, there are two re reasons here written that it's foolish to disregard the will of God. You might be able to think of a third. But first of all, we're finite people. We don't know what even is going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what the future holds. There could be health downturns or new laws passed that completely change what uh, we had planned. Life is fragile. A vapor. The Greek word here uh, is atmos, where we get our word atmosphere. It's a, a mist, a steam. Steam from a tea kettle doesn't fill up the whole room. You know, it disappears only just a few inches away from the, the spout. It's fragile. If you take a look at the video of JFK parading down the streets of Dallas, he doesn't have any clue that he only has moments left to live. How many of us really know how much we have left? We could die unexpectedly. Or Jesus could come and rapture us away before we even leave this church building. <laughs> I could do with a little rapture today. <laughs> I don't think anything else would fix my day up better. <laughs> Hallelujah. Revive us or rapture us home, Jesus. If today we, ig we ignore His will, then we're begging Him to throw a monkey wrench in our plants. How else can He get us to think about Him? Another reason it's foolish to disregard the importance of God's will is when making your plans is that you ignore the benefit of, of doing God's will. You realize you don't get God's results if you don't do things God's way. If we disregard His will, then how do you expect to get His, his benefits? It's a complex and dangerous world, but we do have a promise from God. You love the promises in God's Word? Hallelujah. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. That's a promise. He's going to direct you. 
If everything you do, you acknowledge Him. He's the one in control. He's the man with the plan. There's a benefit to having God lead us toward life's best potential. When we can't see the dangers coming ahead, and we couldn't do anything about it even if we did. But He says He'll direct us. He'll guide your path. James 4, verses 15 and 16. Let's move on in this text here a little bit. Verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Second attitude that we could take toward God's will is to defy it. We talked about the foolishness of disregarding God's will. But even worse is the arrogance of defying God's will. We see that so much in our culture today. The Bible says don't do it. And what do they do? Exactly the opposite. And they look at you with their militant secularism and they, they say you're the problem. They want to shoot the messenger. You're just telling them, hey, that's not probably going to work out well for you. <sighs> they get so mad. Huh? God has a will. And where he has a will, there's a way to follow it. Even Christians can do this, though. When we want something so bad and we're afraid that God won't give it to us. Don't we? Yeah. Here we know God's real. And we know he has a will for our lives. But we just aren't sure if God is good enough to give us what we want. Is he sovereign? We think ourselves capable of overcoming and pushing aside the will of God. We can amass a great amount of money and we can use a great amount of determination to make something happen. Think about it. Is there some big event happening, coming up in your life and you just, you're determined to make it happen? That's fine. But have you asked, is that God's will? Or is that just your will and you're going to make it happen? <sighs> Our next breath is, comes to us by God's mercy. The word boast here means bragging. And it's, uh, it means to be loud-mouthed about your own accomplishments. Some Christians brag about all they do for God. I don't think that's what God wants. It's more important we brag about all God's done for us. That's all that matters. We've got a big God. Bragging. This word means wandering about selling phony goods. Huh. I love the Greek. It has such interesting shades of meaning here. <laughs> well, when we talk about making something happen despite what God may want for our lives, we're like snake oil salesmen <laughs> going around selling a miracle product that ain't really going to work. <laughs> if we're determined to do something without considering God, we pull God down and we put ourselves up on His throne. Man, God considers that attitude evil. Wow. Wicked. Poneras. Just wicked. I'm not anybody special. I just serve an awesome God. And as long as we're in the path of His will, things are awesome. Besides disregarding or defying God, the third approach to it, is disobeying God's will. Here we know God is there, and we know His will is supreme. We just don't want to do it. 
<laughs> Consider verse 17. What's it say? So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. That is a tough verse right there. Huh. Wow. It's like we forget that God's able to punish those who sin. Anyone who has had kids knows that a person can sin by not doing anything. I told you to clean your room. There's some sins we commit, and then there's sins of things we omit. Sins of omission, they call it. Rarely can we separate the two. It's not that you went ahead and, and did what you shouldn't have done. You just knew God wanted you to obey His Word, and you did nothing. <laughs> you said, I didn't do anything. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> you were supposed to obey God's Word. Doing nothing usually ends up doing the wrong thing. Instead of disregarding, defying, or disobeying, God wants us to be delighting in God's Word. The fourth and final approach to God's will. Oh, hallelujah. Is to delight in doing it. Amen? Psalm 37 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. And what will He do? Come on, church. No, you delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's a beautiful promise. There's so many beautiful promises in this word. Henry Ward Beecher talked about a person who built his house himself. He went out and paid for an architect to design his house. Then he looked at it and said, eh, that's an idea. <laughs> but then he went and built it his way, right? The architect comes back and says, am I still getting paid? Because <laughs> this is not what I said to do. He got his money, but you know what? <laughs> that house didn't come out right. <laughs> There's been no obedience to the blueprints. Yeah, he did it his way. He got the house he wanted, but he didn't get the house he needed. One test of a true child of God is that there are, they are enamored with doing God's will. They're thrilled to see their life being built up according to the blueprint of God. A God-fearing man wants his life to be built up according to these architectural plans. Ephesians 6.6 6 says, Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. When we have the attitude that our plans are subject to God's approval, then we're going to write them down with pencil. And we're going to hand the eraser to Jesus. <laughs> this is what I'm going to do, Jesus. <laughs> race it if you think you have to but I'm moving ahead when plans change we trust that the God who loves us has something better in mind well keep in mind that God desires to make his will known if we desire to seek it yeah we think about the will of God and we think I'm interested in God's will for my finances should I get a new car should I go to college should I work a job should I, who should I marry? I'm saying there's five areas of God's will revealed to us in Scripture. And if we get those five issues right, the rest will pretty much work itself out. 1 Timothy 2.4, you've got to run there quick because I'm not going to look at it. 
God's will is that we be saved. Amen? That's, that's not a secret. God's will is that no one should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's will is that you be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.17, right? Don't be drunk on wine, but be filled. So if you're saved, are you spiritual? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Then, His will is that we be controlled by the Lordship of Christ through the influence of the Holy Spirit in our heart. Then we go on to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says, be sanctified toward a pure life. It's God's will that you be in submission to authority. 1 Peter 2.13. And here's a hard one. It's God's will that you be suffering well. It's like, not like, uh, are you going to suffer? No, you're going to suffer. But are you suffering well for Christ? With your faith right out in front, I know God's going to get me through this. So we say, are you saved? Are you spirit-filled? Are you sanctified? Are you submitted to authority? And are you strong enough to be suffering well for Christ? Well, the key to making a right response to God's will is responding to the daily guidance of God. Moses hit that rock. Remember that? God said, speak to it. But he hit it. Why did he hit it? Because that's what worked last time. You know? Are you holding on to what God told you to do last time? What about what God's telling you to do now? You know, the daily guidance. Uh, maybe some of us need to get a little better at reading God's Word. And I'm looking at myself too. You know, getting into God's Word every day. Praying and hearing, hearing Him uh, give us a new message for a new day. What is God telling us from His Word for today? When's the last time you felt guided by God to do something? You have to be willing to obey it when He tells you. Sometimes He'll tell you to do something and you're like, oh no, no God, what else? What else do you got for me? <laughs> like it's a, 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 a buffet line, you know? No, I don't think I'm into it. interested in chicken today. Let's keep going. You know? <laughs> Why should God tell you His will if you're not going to do it? You know? Um... It means having a constant communication and flexibility to change our plans based on His desires. Uh, this is one I do want you to turn to. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans 12 and verse 2. We're talking about the will of God, right? My son broke up with his girlfriend. Boy, I really thought he, he was going to marry her. Every nine months, she's this closer than ever. Golly. You know, we make most of our decisions when we're upset. When our life is in a swirl and we're emotional. I think I'm going to break up with my girlfriend. Well, what brought that on? Am I right? Romans 12.2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Right? By the renewing of your mind, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, we need to be making our decisions in life when we're walking right with the Lord. I told my son, hold off. Just hold off on any big decisions. Get in the Word. Get yourself surrounded by godly people. You know what I mean? 
Be ready to hear a voice from Him. How do you need to change your habits in order to better hear the voice of God? Hear God's daily guidance. Do you need to have daily input from the Bible? Maybe you could make a new commitment to read a short passage from the Bible each day. Talk about your plans with God. And then listen. Just give Him a little quiet time. That's hard for me. I'm a talker. You know? <laughs> i got to just be quiet for a minute. You know? And then when God speaks to your heart, Make a commitment to actually do it. I'm going to do whatever you say, God. Just tell me. Just tell me. And then when you feel like God's given you direction, make, go and pray with the people that are affected by that decision. Make sure that they're, they're hearing from God too. Take time to listen. Plans for family. Plans for church. Plans for career. Plans for future. Pray with people you trust. 2,977 people died when Muslim extremists attacked our country. September 11th, 2001. Members of the Al-Qaeda terrorist cell hijacked four passenger jets and redirected them to fly into economic and political targets like the Pentagon and the World Trade Center. That morning I was in the church office when I heard news of the hit to the first New York City Tower come over TV. I rolled a TV cart into the sanctuary and I unlocked the church doors so that people could come in and pray. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know how to deal with it, but we knew who did. You know, like, because he lives, I know who holds the future <laughs> and I know who holds my hand. <laughs> so we just opened the sanctuary to pray. But we had the news on because everybody wanted to know what was coming next. Some years later, I met a man named Steve Scheibner. He was a, a pilot for American Airlines. In fact, he was supposed to be flying American Airlines Flight 11, that uh, first plane that hit the first tower. And the day before, he signed his name in on the computer, and he packed his, his uniform in the trunk of his car. And he went to bed. Uh, it was a flight from Boston to L.A. He waited for the phone call to come that would confirm his assignment uh, to be the pilot of, of Flight 11. The call never came. It wasn't too uncom uncommon. Another pilot had bumped him out of the job. He didn't think too much about it. Pilots with sen seniority are bumping each other off of jobs all the time. You know, uh, in fact, the pilot who died that day, he had a birthday, and he wanted to celebrate with family in L.A. Uh, he, he had more seniority than Scheibner, so he took the job. He, and Scheibner just went about doing his daily routines, doing odd jobs. He worked a contract for the Air Force that day. And when the horror of 9-11 hit him, people started calling him just to see if he was alive. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> of course I'm alive. What are you talking about? And, and he realized he had to get out ahead of this. Start calling people, letting them know. That night, Steve realized that he should be dead. He realized that another pilot had been sitting in his seat. And you can look up on YouTube and hear his testimony. It's called, In His Seat, In My Seat. Taking that horrible fate that should have been meant for him. The first to die that day were the 87 passengers that he had signed his name that he was going to take care of. Wow. Survivor's guilt hit him. Why was it God's will that he should live and that other pilot 
have to die. Steve had flown that exact plane. He sat in that exact seat many times. Time is short. That's what Steve Scheibner learned that day. God chooses how much time we have. And we all lived on borrowed time. Steve could look on TV and see the smoking hole where he should have died. Maybe you can't relate to flying an airplane. But you know what? There's a cross. You look at that cross. It's like a smoking hole where you should have died. It wasn't Jesus' sins that put him there. Am I too bold to say it was yours? It was mine. That's the smoking crater where we should have died. What Steve Scheibner told me was, I learned from that moment to be a borrowed time believer and not a settled in saint. Instead of having to be in control of everything that happens in life, God wants us to consider first His will and let Him guide our plans. A God-fearing man understands that he is not in control of what happens in life, but he seeks to live according to God's will with the time that God has given. All oh, let's pray. Oh, precious Jesus, thank You. Thank You for taking that moment, that, that grisly death that we deserve. Oh, precious Jesus, thank You. I believe that it was You who died on that cross because You loved me. I believe that You rose from the dead and that You have power over any problem I face. Oh, precious Jesus, forgive me. But so many times I have pushed aside Your will and I've lived according to my will instead. And Lord, I've reaped the consequences. This morning, I want to say, if you're sitting here and you know you've been living according to your will, and you want there to be a change, I pray that God would give you the courage to pray this simple prayer along with me today. Dear Jesus, I'm coming to you. Forgive my sin. Forgive me, Lord, for living according to my will and not your own. I know, Jesus, you died for my sin and rose again. Come into my life, I pray, and make a change today. Lord, make a place prepared for me in heaven when this life is through. And help me to live every moment according to your will. Lord, come into my life by your Holy Spirit and make me new. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God has made a change in your heart today. Oh, tell someone. Tell Pastor Dave. What better pastor appreciation gift than to say my life was touched by Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, for those who joined us from your pontoon boat or wherever it might be, um, we're glad that you could join us here at New Life, and we're located at 1021 South Center Street. We would love to have you come and join with us in person. Uh, church starts at 10 o'clock. Wednesday night starts at 6 o'clock. We would love to have you come. 
and learn more about this Jesus that you heard about today. God bless you. We will see you next time. All right.